Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel Little Conversation, where experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Dana Mackey, an Associate Director at Mintel. Today, we're discussing how people get the news and their general attitudes around news media. I'm joined by three Mintel analysts who cover consumer research on the media. John Polking is calling in here from our Chicago-based U.S. office. We have Scott Stewart in Toronto and Rebecca McGrath calling in from London. I want to start this conversation with a bit of a confession. We have several reports focused on news media here at Mintel across all of these regions, and I have read absolutely none of them. <laughs> so I'm really joining this conversation with what I like to call a learner mindset, which really just means I have no idea the answer to any of these questions. So I want to start by taking a little bit of a stab, a little bit of guess, um, about my first question. My first question is, is really broadly how people are getting the news, like what channels they're going through to get the news because there's so many different options today. But I wanted to see, because I don't know the answer to this question, if I could guess based on my own personal sample, I take the Metra train here in Chicago into Union Station in the morning and I watch everyone on the train car. My train car probably has, I don't know, 60 people in it. I watch everybody in the morning chatting and reading the news before they get to work. So based on this sample, I would guess we've got about a handful of newspaper readers. So I'm going to say maybe 15% of people are saying they are getting their news from a traditional newspaper, and then almost everybody else is on their phones. So I don't know if we have stats on mobile, but I'm going to guess that a large majority are getting their news online. This is a pretty easy guess, getting their news online. Maybe they're playing Candy Crush, but I'm assuming they're reading the news in the morning. So, so I want to, a little bit of response to my guess here. I want, John, if you can tell me, am I, how close am I to, I don't know, maybe let's say 85% of people are saying they get their news online and we've got a remainder, a smattering of people kind of reading that local paper in the morning. Am I close? I think that you actually <laughs> might be just a hair off because uh, we were looking, well, uh, when comparing news outlets to each other, TV tends to dominate. And uh, especially here in the US, uh, even like local and national TV broadcast uh, tends to get the largest share of news consumers. And when it comes to those outlets, they a lot of people aren't necessarily following these uh, TV outlets online. They're still going to the source. And this tends to be dominated primarily by an older audience that is probably steeped in their traditions of, you know, uh, watching their uh, Walter Cronkite, maybe not dating that so far back, but uh, there's definitely this kind of uh, legacy, this storied reputation of uh, TV news as kind of the pillar of uh credibility in the U.S., I feel like, and I, especially amongst uh, older news consumers, that attitude tends to pervade in how people are gathering the, the news. Now, when it comes to... So, oh. so my methodology was flawed here because people don't watch TV on the train. There's that. Okay, I didn't yeah. think about that. Gotcha. So TV, TV, gotcha. Okay. So it's certainly a, a similar trend here in, in Canada that TV is the highest rated as far as uh, penetration for, for news consumption. Um, it is interesting because this is where it gets complicated in terms of people are using different sources. So they might read a newspaper on their phone. So the source is the newspaper, but it's on their phone or they'll read it on their computer at work, etc. Um, something that 
is also, I think, supporting the TV part is the habit that John was speaking to. Um, and almost half of people in Canada say that they have the news on in the background throughout the day. Um, so it, it really is something that I think a lot of people see as a, a default on TV. Uh, if they're walking around the house or even, even at work, many lunchrooms will just have a news channel on. You go to a dentist's office, it's the news channel on in the background. So I think it the, the TV aspect, because it's a bit of a passive consumption, you sometimes just want it, you, you'll pick it up almost by osmosis, just hearing it in the background uh, is a certain way that people uh, consume news media. And because of that, as much as everything's shifting online, I think TV still has a strength in that space because of the way that it can be that background noise for people. Yeah. Um, in the UK, yeah, uh, it's the same. Obviously, people are getting their news from a, you know, a vast variety of sources and increasingly online, but TV is, um, yeah, is, is a very important platform that people can sort of dismiss a bit too quickly, uh, even though younger people are moving away from it. I think the, the very interesting sort of um, part of or unique aspect of British news consumption is, is the BBC, which... Um, is by far our most popular online platform and obviously it's a very strong uh, TV presence. And I'd say sort of if you were to think about the, the most common habit of people getting their news, it is just going on BBC News in the morning quickly, you know, you know across political boundaries and you just, that is where you go straight away. Yeah, and I feel like we can't go too uh, long talking about news media before we stumble upon talking about <sighs> hashtag fake news <laughs> as um, as much as you know I'd like to avoid the topic I think it's really pressing particularly here in the US trust credibility I, I think people are very confused about where what the trusted sources are now um, can they believe what they read what is what is the role what is the landscape for trust in news media in your different regions so in Canada, um, the trust level right now, so we have 40% of people saying that they generally trust the, the mainstream media. So the minority of people are willing to make that claim about mainstream media. Flip side, about a third are saying that they worry about being misled. What I find particularly interesting is that uh, that 40% trust level, the trust is even lower among younger people today. Um, so it, there's actually, if you look at older people, they're actually more looking at news as an institution that they can really lean on. Um, whereas young people, they're more kind of critical about it. And now the question is, is that, an age-based thing, they just have more questions because they're learning about the news, or is it generational? I think you could argue it's generational because a lot of these people are coming of age, specifically with politics, of what's going on. You mentioned fake news. They're coming of age at a time when there's so much noise in terms of news of what's trustworthy, what's not. Um, we're starting to see major mainstream media, uh, especially Canadians getting a lot of U.S. media, where it is kind of picking a lane between, you know, Fox and CNN and MSNBC. Um, it's, it's to the point that they do have to start questioning themselves. And you have to learn this skill to have an online life, to be critical of everything you see coming in. So I think you have this kind of perfect storm right now of what's going on politically, as well as online skills of just being a critical thinker that is making people question even mainstream media, which for so long was supposed to be that, that rock of journalism that people are not questioning. 
Yeah, it's so interesting to hear you say that number, Scott, that 40% of people that trust the media, because while the U.S., in terms of trust, follows those kind of similar uh, demographic lines, uh, older people. And I'm, I, I completely agree that it is, uh, you know, the, these older, these older uh, adults and whether that's a generational thing or not is yet to be seen. But I think it's so interesting because that number is halved in the U.S., where only 20% of people say that they trust the media as a whole. So the... I mean, 40% is low, 20% is lower. And the, uh, I've, and I do this to explain numbers to statisticians and market analysts that I'm talking to. But, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, no, it's, it's fascinating. I feel like how these kind of online, I think a lot of the erosion of that sort of trust has come from the constant conversation and the constant speculation that, uh, is happening in these online platforms and it's being driven by a very critical and potentially very cynical younger audience that is not necessarily seeing thinking that there's one side to every story and they're trying to go to a bunch of different sources in order to gain perspective which kind of fuels them in their kind of conversations because uh the younger adults are the more like at least in the U.S., are more likely to say they enjoy discussing the news on social media. So they want to come back with these sort of informed opinions across a bunch of different sources, but they don't necessarily trust media as an institution like the older adults do in the U.S. And I'm curious to see, uh, Rebecca, if you've kind of noticed something similar in the U.K. as well or how that might be changing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely the case here where we're showing that we see that younger people are, again, less less likely to trust um, uh, news media. They're less, they're more concerned about thinking like headlines would be misleading. They're sort of just more skeptical. And I guess it, just, it makes sense that um, as you know, the heavy social media users that you're going to be particularly taken uh, no, and worried by the fake news scandal. I think what I've been an interesting trend here is I think the the fake news scandal has given a slight push back to some of the sort of older news brands um, as because we do have a decently high level of trust in our newspapers we have a lot of newspapers so how much people trust each one will be, um, be different but we found that while 10% of people own um, only 10% of people trust all the national newspapers they read 80% trust at least some of them um, to be fact, uh, factually accurate. Um, so I think the fake news scandals by people, I think it's almost been a slight bit of a saving grace in a way for these sort of traditional news brands that people are like, oh, well, I don't know who to trust. I'm going to turn back to a brand I have a slight more trust in than, than sort of what I just see on social media. Yeah, and I wonder almost... This is going to be such a cynical thing to say, but if this lack of trust can potentially work in the favor of some more traditional or storied news outlets in that, can they convert that to a reason to get paid subscribers? Because I think, I mean, we know the media landscape is just crazy right now. And part of it is that traditional newspapers are struggling to stay afloat in an era where you can get all of this news online for free. Can can news outlets use credibility, trust, uh, journalistic integrity 
as a reason to convert people into paid subscribers or is is there no hope for the future? <laughs> Those are your options. You can choose one. <laughs> so when it comes to pay, uh, yeah, we have about a quarter of people in Canada paying for their news, which is quite low. Um, I think that's a fair point. Certainly, th these news organizations need to do something because the, the, the economics of it just don't work right now. Um, when I look at news media in terms of payment, I see a lot of parallels to the music industry. And what I mean by that is for decades, we had people willingly pay a good amount of money. You pay for delivery, you, you put coins in the box and pay for your paper. People were totally fine with it. And then you have this overhaul where suddenly everything is free. So we look at Napster in the mid 90s and the music industry just is scrambling trying to figure out what to do. And it wasn't until iTunes came around and started charging 99 cents for a song. And then now Spotify, et cetera, charging 10 bucks a month that they've, they had to shift their model to be a consumer centric uh, to really fit with what the consumer wants before they kind of struck that deal. Uh, I see it the same in news because a lot of news sites just say, I'll give you five articles and then give me $13 a month from now on. And people are like, eh, it's, it's easier for me to just use a few different news sources, uh, maybe just kind of sneakily get some, some articles on the side, share a subscription. It, it, there's no, we need to find some middle ground where that value add is there for consumers before they're going to be willing to pay. Personally, I look at something like Apple News, and I think that's one way to do it. One subscription fee news across many different sources. We'll see where that goes, but certainly something needs to be done. I mean, what the, the music industry has that the news organizations don't is Beyonce. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we need something on the news side that's going to, you know, give us a little bit of a boost. And, and I don't think, I don't think, you know, there's an, anything working in their favor right now. Well, clearly somebody doesn't bow at the altar of Jake Tapper. I mean, uh, and doesn't, uh, you know, didn't listen to his album or anything like that. But uh, there is, but there is definitely a push, I think, from news outlets, at least in the U.S., to uh, kind of put their personalities first. I mean, it started with putting, making sure that journalists were on Twitter and on Instagram, and they're extending their personal brand as an uh, as a representation of the news organization, which has sort certainly befitted this 24-7 news cycle that we are in. It doesn't give journalists a break, but it gives them an, a chance to kind of, uh, for the news outlets to say, hey, look at us, we've got this great person. Or, and it's also a good opportunity for the um, organization or the, for the news broadcasters or the journalists or the writers to, um, you know, show the other sides to them besides the uh, stories that uh, they are able to tell in their kind of home port, uh, you know, and it's, it's kind of befitting of this influencer culture as well that we are seeing ourselves in. It's people follow the, can follow the journalists that they trust or the ones that they find most entertaining and I think that you look at the messaging from Fox News and New York Times and MSNBC, you look at the way that it's about putting the personality first, uh, but it's also about putting the credibility first. I mean, uh, it's all about, you know, the truth is here. And I think if we're talking about converting into pay, then that's, I think, where a big part is. It's, it's about giving 
uh, consumers the detailed coverage that they're not necessarily going to see by scrolling through a Twitter feed. The and deep cuts. The deep, deep, deep cuts. Yeah, the B-sides. <laughs> the B-sides of, right. mm-hmm. of the news organization, for sure. Um, and because that was by far the number one reason why people say they pay for news, at least in the U.S. And I think that... You know, there's also a quarter of people that pay for news that say they do so to support a news organization. So, you know, people are, I I think consumers, especially in the media landscape, are understanding that even though it's cheaper for them, it's not necessarily, somebody needs to get paid. And they see um, supporting a news organization that they might particularly align with as maybe not necessarily charity, but just giving people the resources they need in order to deliver the news and the coverage that they deem worthy of that extra pay, extra coverage. Uh, Yeah, I think in the UK, we're definitely, I think it's been actually quite a positive couple of years in terms of getting people to pay. It's still a minority um, for sure, but it is higher amongst younger news readers. Um, and we are now seeing sort of sort of some of these newspapers come up with fairly financially stable models, at least creeping onto them, uh, of our quality, as we describe them, quality newspapers, you know, the sort of high-end um, sort of journalism. And they're now really, most of them are pushing a paywall model and, some are finding, you know, a lot, quite a lot of success, you know, the Financial Times, The Economist, you know, these aren't huge numbers describing, that, but they're going up. Um, and I think, well, The Guardian is a very interesting example within this yeah, okay, because yeah. they, unlike sort of their rivals, have stayed yeah. firmly um, without a paywall for all of their content, but they have found... Um, a lot of success with voluntary donations and membership schemes, and they've really turned their sort of fortunes around over the last three years. Uh, and it's been sort of quite phenomenal, really, when you're basically just saying, hey, please support us, uh, please donate. Uh, and, you know, many, many readers have. Uh, and what I find interesting, the idea of, is that partly because in this very politicized um, environment where the guardian is sort of positioned against things like uh trump and brexit is that you know that's the moment everyone's like right we've got to support this organization because we're feeling sort of our values are under threat uh whether some a voluntarily like donation system works in a different political context for them would be interesting to see but it certainly shows brand loyalty on a you know uh, sort of incredible scale. So what I think will be interesting just based on this discussion is that I, I think it'll end up being interesting to watch if people start paying more for sources, will they become more loyal to a single source as we were talking about before? Because if you're paying X dollars a month, you're not going to pull in everything else. You're going to go to that one source because you're paying money for that. So are people going to revert back to having one source and having less of a broad scope. It'll be obviously something we can we can watch in the years ahead. And I think there's such an interesting tension. You, you talk about Apple News, obviously, and uh, there where if you start to see these publishers find success with their own subscriptions, you know, how much are they really going to want to work with Apple News? You know, Apple can't have exclusive content on their news um, subscription anymore. And that tension of consumers being just like, oh, let's just get, 
I'll get the Guardian, the Economist, and um, so I don't need Apple News. Um, so it's a very interesting tension versus sort of you know a Spotify model um, if they do find success with their own subscriptions. Since we are entering prediction territory, I think maybe this is a good place to wrap it up. Um, I would love it if you could each go around and maybe, since we've talked a little bit about the younger generation and how their preferences are different, think about yeah. maybe in the next several years as these Gen Z consumers who are now, you know, essentially early 20s, late teens, as they move into their own careers and they start paying more attention to the news and considering whether or not they're going to pay for a subscription and all of these things, what do you think is going to happen in the next maybe five years? Any predictions? I think that uh, there's going to be a big push for personality-driven content and potentially like hyper-local content. Uh, I'm seeing this a lot with, you know, like I mentioned before, the influencer market, you know, I think people are going to be following news sources that they are not able to necessarily get with the mainstream media, which could potentially take some attention away from the mainstream media. But this idea of the media isn't going away anytime soon. It's, I think it's become such an institution that, uh, you know, but it's the younger generation, if they're not going to be the ones to kind of hold it up as a pillar of integrity, then that might start to chip away at that. And they might look for other sources that they see as more credible, which could only further fragment the market as a whole. And I think we're starting to see that with the erosion of trust and the fact that not many people see that there's only one version of the truth. Okay, so looking- John's future is pretty dystopian, sounds like. We're going to be ruled by influencers <laughs> and no one believes uh, the news. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I take a Blade Runner approach to all of my futuristic <laughs> predictions, yeah. So I I agree with that, and I, but I, I try to look on the, the brighter side of it in terms of opportunity. And I think there is an opportunity for a news source to become that unbiased, trustworthy uh, kind of bastion, again, of, of truth to, to a certain degree. And what I mean by that is we see so few uh, of the Gen Z trusting the media. That has to be a very stressful day-to-day way of life to always be critical of everything and wondering about the source and can I trust this? How many times do I have to read the same news to get the full view? Uh, there's going to be some, they'd actually prefer to trust the source. So if a source can come through and be that source and, and get their bias out of the way, get any opinion out of the way and just be straight facts as much as possible, um, I think there's an opportunity for them to kind of jump to the front of the line with that demographic and, and be that they can kind of relax finally and just trust somebody. Oh, that'd be so nice. <laughs> it's so, it's yeah. so much more relaxing just to go to one thing. <laughs> Which in theory is, you know, what uh, the BBC is meant to, meant to be for the UK. Um, it gets attacked from all sides, which is, you know, um, but uh, I think, yeah, I think everyone's going to be scrambling around to find the sources that they trust because I think within this context as well, you're thinking about, I think people understand that consuming so much news isn't necessarily healthy for us um, consistently throughout the day. And I think that's going to play a role in, in the debate going forward. Like, is it healthy for you to be on Twitter all day, seeing all the headlines from many different sources? Um, 
what does that do to your mental health, which obviously is, is a particular concern of sort of younger generations. Um, and so people, I think, will really start, they're looking towards the brands that they trust now. And it's why something like Apple News could be interesting if it can become sort of trusted as curating good quality news from a range of sources uh, as like, yeah, this this has passed a threshold of quality. Uh, again, that tension with the publishers is going to make it tricky for necessarily that model to work. But if any, you know, anyone putting themselves forward as like, oh, we become the trusted sort of uh, watchdog of news that, that, that we we're only going to let the factual stuff through. We're only going to let the high quality stuff through. So you don't have to go searching for it. So then there is huge potential there. So it sounds like we have a couple of different futures to choose from. <clears throat> Scott so, sounds best. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to vote. <laughs> so, so in the next five years, if we see further personality driven news, if Scott's future, if we see news based in fact, <laughs> easily to verify fact, or if people just start to shy away from all this news coverage because they feel like they need to regain sanity, you'll know that uh, you heard it here first to Mintel listeners. So thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast content. We'll be here next week with another episode of Little Conversation. 